The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. What is up, beauties? This is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas, and this is Into the Net FC. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to welcome a new guest. He is a diehard supporter of Manchester United. He loves soccer. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Rod Angeles. Welcome to the show, Rod. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love talking about football and everything that involves around football, Manchester United, uh, everything about it. Well, it seems like you and me, you've probably been a disgruntled Man U supporter for too long, but... It's really tough, but you know we, we stick to him. We we, we we always support him through the hard times, through the good times, and hopefully the good times will roll around soon. Yeah, it, it's been it, you know it's funny too. It's like, oof, um, it's 2012 was the last uh, obviously winning per se winning um, season for United, and it felt like it's a bit of blink. It's like we were comatose for the last ten years, like we're in a coma, mm-hmm. and we just recently woke up. You know, and that's what I felt like. It's like, man, what happened to the club? I mean, it was just a mess. It was really a mess. And it, it, like you said, it's really difficult to support them, but it is, you just yeah. got to stick to it. Got to stick to it. And unfortunately, man, you hasn't been uh, doing too good lately. Uh, you know, coming off, we're, we're coming off a draw, but like I said lately, you know, we did have that win uh, in the Champions League match, but you know we yeah. suffered that loss to Aston Villa, got knocked out of the EFL Cup. Yeah. yeah, but luckily, luckily we're still we're still in a decent spot. I mean, we're in fourth. If uh, you know, if Liverpool had managed to beat Manchester City, we'd probably be in third. But but still, I mean, the road ahead is brutal because well, it's English Premier. It's English That's the way Premier. it is. Exactly. Um, you know, this next, uh, and I was talking about it too, the next five, six fixtures, I say it's going to be a true test for Ollie because not just because he's going against a very hard road of good clubs. This is going to be a test on how he manages the squad. And this is where really, like, everybody, like, bags on Ollie. 
Oh yeah. I don't because I think he. I I reference them to cause a lot of European fans that I know doesn't can't wrap their head around it, but I refer him to like a basketball manager mm-hmm. because in basketball you don't really need to coach. Like if you're in that level, you should be damn good already. You know, you should be able to dribble, pass, uh, you know, know your places in the pitch, you know, be instinctive where to go. He just needs to manage them. And that's where really I kind of kind of like, sometimes like, man, it's the 75th minute and you still haven't sucked anybody in. You need to switch this game up. Right. And it was frustrating me sometimes. I yell at my team like, dude, they're stagnant. They're stagnant. It's like, the coach knows it, so he's going to sit on the bus. I'm sorry to tell you right now, they're going to sit on the bus, and they're not going to take a challenge. You're going to need to challenge them. I mean, you're absolutely right. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I mean, some people on Twitter, you know, those trending, you know, sack Ole, Ole out, and, and Steve, uh, who's a part of the Stoppage Time FC group, and he's always on this show, you know, he asks, if they do sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who takes over? And then some people, some people are suggesting Zidane. I mean... A few, not long ago, I would have said I guess that would be good if he took over, but Z Dunn made it clear he is he has no interest in a in a club managerial offer. He's waiting, literally waiting to take over the national team. I mean, as far as the national the French national team goes, we'll, we'll probably get to that in a little bit. I mean, I'm really at that point where I've kind of lost my religion on Deschamps. I mean, I used to de- defend Deschamps all the time, but things lately I, I can't defend the guy anymore, and I, and I think he's really on his way out. But as far as Man United goes, I mean. You know, there's too many problems going on. You know, Donny Van de Beek, obviously, but there's that story how you know I, I think Oli said you know sulking is not gonna get him anywhere. Look, I understand Donny's frustrated because he doesn't get much playing time, but when he does, he's not producing. But you know, he's a young kid. He's a young he kid. Is. He you, is. you know, it, it's hard for a young kid, you know, to have the patience. You know, it, it, I understand, but. The fact is, man, you spend a lot of money on the on the kids, so I hope they have plans to actually groom him and get him for the future. You know, when Eduardo Camavinga left Real Madrid, he was rumored to be going to Old Trafford. I said it's a good thing he didn't go to Old Trafford because the midfield position is crowded. It is. Well, I, th- I think also... All right, so this was my theory, you know, my my, my conspiracy theory. I think three, three, two years ago, United was in her mind that Pog was gone. He's going to stick around. Yeah. I was, I, I was there too, yeah. But, and I think that's the reason why they went all hard. Because remember, they, they tried to get Bruno in the summer. Yeah. And they didn't work. They were like, okay, fine then. We're just going to stick with defense. We're going to get Harry. We're going to get Aaron Wan-Bissaka. We're good with that. We'll revisit the front line later. I don't know. In January, they were like, oh, Bruno signed. I think they were scared that Pablo was going to leave. Yeah, I think he. I think they wanted Bruno to take Pogba's spot, and it ended up he him staying, because Pogba actually likes Oli. Like he has no like. Oli, one thing about good Oli is he know like again he's a good manager. He knows the massage egos, and something that him and Pogba and Jose Mourinho couldn't get. They butted head. They didn't like each other. I used to say that Jose Mourinho treated Pogba like a political prisoner. He did. And also Luke Shaw. Don't forget Luke yeah. Shaw too. Yeah. And Luke Shaw was the same way. And Ollie found a trigger to keep him. Now, I don't know if he's going to stay after this. I'm not sure. But once 
Donnie was available. I, I don't think he was never Ali's target either, mind you. I think he just fell in their laps. I think this was a more a board decision and a Vandasar, uh, a Vandasar, uh, uh, a favor. Like Vandasar, like, hey, I got this kid. He's actually good. Everybody in Europe, Barcelona, remember Barcelona was rumored to get him. And, mm -hmm. and Barcelona at the time couldn't get him. So he was like, hey, I'm gifting you this kid. So United obviously triggered on it. Now, fortunately, like, again, Pablo stayed. That, 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 that spot, that 10 and 6 spot is so, so, like, proud right now. And, and a lot of people, like, I was reading an article um, in one of the Dutch papers. They say that uh, Van Beek actually played a 6 position with a young kid in the academies and AHOX. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he's still able to play that. But if that's the case, I said, why not try maybe a match or two? See, the thing is, like, he's not being, like, he'll play one match, like, somewhere in, like, freaking the Carabao match or or some throwaway match in Champions League, you know, like, some lower club, right? Then that's it for three weeks. It's so hard to do that. I mean, it is. like, now you got, like, oh, okay, we're not going to play you for another three weeks so hard to for a young man to really get in the groove see that's the mismanagement part on Manchester United I mean, you paid all that money to get him and if you're not going to play him enough I mean look if Man U's in a game where you know they're playing well I mean I don't mind them if, if you have to pull out Pogba or McTonamay or well what I would do if Pogba and Bruno are both playing and they're using maybe a three midfielder set have Donny go in place a lot uh, uh, along those two that would yeah. actually be something he could, he could learn but as far, but the case right now on Manchester United is it's the, that's always the problem you know they start off you know they, they go on a decent streak and then, then it kind of falls I mean they lost to that club but I think the young boys in the Champions League and that was pretty embarrassing and you know and, and the problem with Ronaldo look getting Ronaldo back is great but it does cause problems because there's games that there's really he shouldn't be playing and of course you know Ronaldo's 36 now he's yep. you know he's not the young Ronaldo that everybody Loves to talk. I mean, he's still good, but you know, and he's still in good shape. But we can't just you know put him every single game. I, I think you know if I were, I wouldn't be surprised if, excuse me, if uh, if Ronaldo didn't play against uh, Leicester City, which uh, which is who they play next. Yep. If if I were them, I would probably rest him until they play Liverpool, which will be the twenty fourth of this month. You know, and obviously Ronaldo is about to play in the international break because that's what's going down. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not sure if Port. Well, actually, no, I take that. I think back. they are. I think because I, th I think Bruno's leaving also for an international break. Well, br so. okay, yeah, because there's the Nations League semi final. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, actually, no, no. Portugal is actually out of it. Remember, Port France knocked them out when they beat that. Oh game. yeah. Okay. Okay, but but anyway. But still, you know, give Ronaldo some rest. And, you know, in that case, if he's getting rest, you know, put him in as a sub. But, uh, we, but as far as menu goes, you know, they're lucky to still be in a good position. You know, four wins, two draws, and one loss. But, you know, they're in a tie with 14 points. They're in a tie with Brighton, Everton, Everton and the Blues and the blue side of Manchester, Manchester City. So yep. they're just lucky that it's not a bad situation. But, you know, they got to get to winning, like now. And the thing is, I think, uh, okay, so let me, hold on. Okay, so let me pull up the table. So everybody's pretty much squeezed in, right? Like yeah. about three points, three points or so. Yeah. Uh, 
And the gold difference is, I think the gold difference this year will be make the most difference. Uh, I think so if, too. Yeah, I wouldn't be if, surprised. Yeah, if everything goes to plan the way everybody is, like let's just say everybody stays the same. Top, I'm talking about just the top four, mm-hmm. by the way: City, United, Chelsea, Liverpool. Okay, if everything goes to plan, everybody stays healthy, no injuries, no nothing. Everybody stays to form. My God, that last two, two, three weeks, it, it's going to be crazy for EFL uh, because. Goal difference is going to make a difference. Uh, obviously, draws. Uh, how many draws did uh, I think City had? Like two draws last year. I think and something like, like that. Yeah, and then one one loss or two, two, two three losses, and they're all in early too. Remember, because yeah. they picked it up after December. Yeah, they picked it up, and once they once they took first place, they didn't really they didn't relinquish. Yeah. They won. They I think they they won the group. They won the EPL ten points clear, at least ten points ten point clears of the Red Devils. So. That shows you this year it's going to be very minuscule. It's yeah. very minuscule. And and that's what I'm afraid of, of Ali. It's, uh, if you see United match, you can see it's like, man, it's like you could teeter-totter. Like, we won one draw. We know those guys like, like to play to the end. And sometimes we'll pull something out of their thing and skull a gore. But like you said yourself, we can't do that every game. We can't. You have to win convincingly. Like, okay, the fact that Manchester United has at least a billion dollars worth of talent and we're suffering these draws. I mean, this is the same situation with the French national team. At least a billion dollars worth of talent and you can't produce these freaking results? It's unacceptable. But No, you can't. And, and, I, and I think it's just the fact, not even just the talent. I think it's just how he uses it. Like, again, yeah. I'll go back to managing, you know. He needs to really look at the squad, swallow his pride, and say, you know what? Maybe this guy needs to get off for a while. Uh-huh. You know, a hundred percent. But any, as far as far as that goes, I mean, you know, it, it, we're gonna have to wait at least twelve days. So you know, this team's gonna get rested, and they have to go on the road. And I still, I still believe they have that undefeated streak on the road. But yeah, that's another crazy. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Yeah, record. But you know they got to get to winning now. I mean, you know things are getting serious. You know, you know the Champions League is only going to get tougher for them. So you know, you got got to keep the winning streak alive, and you got to build on it, and like not get arrogant. Like you know, fine, you win. Now you find a way to build on it, and, and then don't get stuck in it. So, so man, you've got to get it together. Definitely. And the next match against Atalanta, Zapata's a freaking like he is a he's physically and very fast like he's underrated in europe like Zapata, like like only people who watches the Serie A knows about him or knew his international in south america but man united is definitely going to have to be worrying about their attack uh, atlanta is really really good really fast 100%. and that's one of the very few fast teams in italy oh oh yes yeah, you know, because what you know atlanta you know, it's going to be at old trafford so yeah you know yeah you're going to have to win but but all we can do is pray. I mean, we know, need everybody to be healthy. Uh, and so, which yep. brings me to Chelsea. You know, it, it, it's really tough for me because you know I've never been a fan that that hated Chelsea. I mean, I, I've always been a fan. That, you know, I've been a Man fan at heart. But now, you know, I'm a sports artist, so there's the objectivity. But I've always been a fan that's loved soccer from the heart. But you know, in Chelsea's case right now, you know, even if you're a Man U supporter. 
I really feel like you know you just can't hate on Thomas Tuchel. I mean, there's just no denying the fact that Chelsea is is a better is a very good team and they're better than us and and Chelsea's really proving that. But and, know, and, and I was no, and I was about to say like, and you know what? Uh, I was jokingly, I was like, oh, we're just gonna wait a ticking time bomb for Tuchel because he's following the the recipe of uh, Chelsea coaches wins the Champions League and gets canned the next year. He's not doing that. He looks look like he's gonna stick around for a while. He is, and you know, and when he left PSG, I would tell these Parisian supporters like Tuchel is not the problem, okay? And Tuchel is not the problem, and then they would they would insist that he is that he, Tuchel doesn't know how to use talent. Like, Gee, just wait till you go to Chelsea, and wait wait till you see how he does at Chelsea. And now I'm like, you see, the the problem is the way he the way Tuchel manages. I don't think the the owners and you know that run PSG they just didn't like it. Th- that that's how I believe because PSG can buy all the talent in the world, and they don't win, and that's why I I, I still really believe. I mean. Mbappe is, is going to leave, although Mbappe still has a problem with his ego, but he's, you know, uh, you know, and I've said this many times, if Zidane takes over, Mbappe better get rid of that ego, because if he doesn't, Zidane's going to do it for him, I mean. <laughs> Sam, he's young, and you have to think about this, he hang around with Neymar for a while. Yeah. So he's That's why be- I want him out of PSG, because ne- Neymar's influence is horrible. It is. I mean, yeah, no, Neymar's a good player, but Neymar is arrogant. He flops, okay, and he obviously we all know the theatrics that Neymar displays when he goes down. He really pretends like he broke his freaking leg or anything. And look, and if anybody asks why wasn't Neymar like that in Barcelona, like, well, this is just my this is probably just my opinion. But like, well, because Neymar was under Messi's influence. Neymar goes to PSG now. Neymar feels like, well, I'm the real deal. I'm the, I am PSG. PSG is nothing without me. So, but. But and Bobby yeah. will be leaving. But but go back to Tuchel. Tuchel was never the problem at PSG, and, and he's proven that big time. Uh, excuse me, he wasn't the problem at PSG, and now he's proving himself big time with Chelsea. Uh, with Chelsea, you know, it, it's hard for me to cheer against you know N'Golo Kanté, and apparently he's out again. He wasn't part of the French squad. And at first, I, I asked why the hell not, but apparently he contracted COVID again, which I'm really not understanding. If these players are vaccinated and they're doing this, and they're all. And some of them are even insisting that they don't even have the symptoms. I'm like, I mean, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I'm just so tired of this whole COVID drama. I just wish it would go away. But but going back to Chelsea, I mean, Ch- Chelsea, even though they won this game, you know, I, I believe like these la- these last three games, you know, it's been a streak of Eduardo Mendy not being able to keep a clean sheet because he had that clean sheet streak for so long. But but Chelsea needed to recover after the, after they lost to Juventus. Well, and also, I mean, even though you said that, you know, it's just the style they're playing right now. It's, oh yeah, it's the style. It's I think what what happened is that he the 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 the, the halfbacks of Chelsea was getting exposed. Oh yes, big time. with Lampard. So what oh, he did, yeah. he just put them in the wing. It's like you know what, fuck defending. You know, like don't defend no more. Just go straight, go attack. Reese James is so flag, like, why you go? You know, and then he had three good center backs, kind of covering, and you got Conte who could probably sweep the rest of all the mess they have. And then the rest, man, they just go fly. I mean, you got guys like Mount who, um, and I love this, and I, <laughs> this is what I'm really, really am just jealous about. And I wish Ollie puts this in his brain somehow. It's this. What's the trend now? The trend of football and the the positionless forwards. 
like there's no positions for them no more. You know, you got guys like Mount, Ziyech, you got Blisek. Uh The only one really has a true position is really Lukaku. But all those three guys, they can go in, they can go out, they can go left, they can go right, they can drop back a little bit, they can go forward. It really like, I wish they can. And then you've seen that. Lampard didn't let them do that. It, it, uh, I mean, yeah, Pulisic thrived under Lampard because he played more of the wing side. But remember, Ziyech was having a hard time adapting to, uh, to English football. Uh, Timo Werner looked like he's starting to pick it up now. Because remember, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Lisbig, where he was at, he, he played the two forwards. So yeah. he, was, he had a partner. So he does he can't he doesn't play that now, but now he's letting him kind of feel his way to kind of get in there. You know, he got a couple of good shots in there, and I think that's what Tuchel's doing. He's letting these guys just play. Really, um, you know, uh, if Pep gets that, imagine Pep gets that one good striker in January. Like it's it's and he has that still that flow of his game. And that's another thing that I, I do like about Pep is like he lets those guys kind of flow around. I love that style of football. I really do. And I think the English game really moder- really kind of exposed that style. Uh, you know, Bielsa does it in Leeds. These guys are just flying up and down. Really, I mean, he gets exposed a lot because, because the backside's not really covering but it's really, really good entertaining football. And if you watch English football every match, it's always like that. It's high paced. That's why you see a lot of fouls because these guys are just going forward, fast paced, running around in space, trying to move forward, trying to go here, trying to go there. And, you know, and when I watch that, and that's what I see in United, it's like they don't do that. They just sit in that one particular spot. And I think that's where English football is going to go. You know, it's different when you watch uh, Spanish league. And Pellegrini was actually—I don't know if you heard—Pellegrini was actually complaining, like, "Why are they holding the ball here so much? It's like, stop holding the ball." You know, it's like, well, that's Spanish football. That's their style. Yeah. I mean, they're going to go wide. They're going to try to find that pockets, and they're going to hold and run that darn, you know, pockets. So. It, it's really entertaining. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, if there's, I mean, a lot of people might think I'm an idiot for saying this, but if there's one thing that Ole, Pep Guardiola, and Thomas Tuchel all have in common is they're not egomaniacs. They actually work with their players. They actually build, use these formations with, the, with these players. That's why these players have not been complaining about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, you know, Oli is not the best, obviously. You know, it's it's unfortunate. You know, he'll have good times and bad times. But and Thomas Tuchel, you could just tell he works with the players because the players, the way they just play dominantly. You know, for me, you know, the, the EPL changes. I mean, there's the slow pace, there's the fast pace. I mean, the EPL is the has so many different styles because they have managers from all over who have these different philosophies, especially these managers that adapt to the evolution when the when the play changes. See, Arsene Wenger, it's hard to prove, but I really believe Arsene Wenger, his mentality, he's kind of like the mentality that, I mean, we, we, from the 90s, but then he, and then it, he's like, he's stuck between like the 2002 and 2006 style. 
that uh, I mean, I'm not sure the best way to describe it, but you just know when you're a lifelong soccer fan, you can just tell, say in your see in your head, the style was different. Maybe different midfielders, maybe different pace, but Vanker, I would kind of say he got stuck, and it's not that he was stubborn. It's probably because he just wanted to kind of keep the. He's a traditional guy. He kind of wanted to keep the old school tradition, but try to make add some things new to it. But he he didn't want to. He didn't want to erase his legacy, like what he was known for. And and I and I would say, look, everybody would remember what he used back then. But look, if you gotta change the style to the new to the new era of football, then you 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 you, you gotta do it if you gotta keep winning. But a lot of these a lot of these guys are basically old school. I mean. It's hard to change, but some of them are good. Like Zidane, basically kind of adapted. Like he adapted some similarities to his playing days, but he added it with a new set of how today is formed. Like he would, like the like the like the pace he played in. It was the same pace, but different formations, different tactics, kind of like that. I mean, Zidane is a, obviously you know is one of the soccer geniuses in the world. You know, much like Carlo Ancelotti. Although Carlo Ancelotti has been around for so long, but you know. But going back to Tuchel, I mean, we, I know we keep getting <laughs> carried away, but yeah, but but man, it's okay, it's all right. But Tuchel is doing a phenomenal job, and you know, and I always say like, wh- whether you're Man U fan or not, you really just can't, you, you can't really just discredit the guy. There's, it's pointless. No. I agree. No, and I, like I said, like I, I respect him a lot because he 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 had to change that club, like not per- personal wise, but. The formation wise, he had he had to kind of brainwash everybody from what Lampard did, you know, and put a new scheme out there, and it worked. It really did, and he stuck to it. You could tell he would do his homework every night. Like as soon as he arrived at uh, Samford Bridge, he looked around, saw what was going on, and he said, "Okay, well, this is the problem. So now we got to figure out how how to work it." And you could just tell he he did his homework, and he immediately changed it just like that. Yeah, so, he did. Yeah, I mean, these German managers really have that intelligence philosophy in their head. Well, and it, and it's it's so funny. Like, okay, so you got uh, guys, name it's so long. The German, uh, the new German uh, national coach who used uh, Hansi, to be with Bayern. Hansi Flick. Yeah, yeah, the former uh, Bayern Munich guy. Yeah, Hansi Flick. A lot of people thought like, oh, he's strict, but no, he 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 kind of he kind of moves people around. You know, if you watch Bayern Munich a lot. He used a lot of the personal he had, uh, like you know, he had Hakim playing the wing. You know, he let him be free a little bit. You had Coleman, you had all these guys. You had you know Mueller. He had he let them be free. He's not very robotic. Like like I think I think it's the perception in Germany. I guess like they think like oh that's they're robotic. They're that's just what they are. But they're not. It's 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 a some are out there are pretty good. Um, I think that's why I love Jesse Marsh being in Bundesliga. Uh, I think eventually, in five years, hopefully, he'll take over the United States because uh, I think he's just learning, absorbing that league. It's so good right now. Also, that's another league that's uh, you start seeing it's building. You know, more than just Bayern Munich and uh, and Borussia Dortmund. I think uh, RB Leipzig is getting there now. You know, they're getting a little bit better. They're going to get at least three teams that's going to be quality every year. That's what you only wish for for your league, at least three, mm-hmm. four teams. You know, you're not going to have top-down all good teams. You want at least good three or four teams. And that's what I think Germany is going to have in the next couple of years with these guys. Hopefully, and I would uh, I would hope for the same for, for France. 
you know, because me being French American, you know, everybody asks me like, what's it like? You know, does it bother me that PSG is like, like the top team and PSG is always winning? I'm like, I mean, it is bothersome because you know because league guys describe us quote farmers league or my yeah. yeah. You know, there was a time that, you know, my dad would actually remind me, there was a time when PSG was absolutely, like, media, like average to mediocre. That was during the time, that's when Marseille was, like, was the top dog. Like, Marseille was, like, the strongest team in France. And, you know, Monaco was very good. Uh, Toulouse, you know, there, there was, like, at least six teams, you know, competing for the title. And during that time, PSG was, I mean... They were they would range from you know below average to mediocre to average, but I, I would say well the best way to say this this is before before oil before oil businessmen took over. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I remember like Leon. Leon yeah, was Leon, what yeah. did they want like the the league like four years in a row? When, I believe uh, they Benzema did. Was there? They when I was born in France when I was living there until ninety seven Lyon was actually one of the best teams. Although even though they were they had good and had talent they. They could not win these big games, like if they were if they were in the Champions League or anything else, because because my dad would say the ownership and the management was just horrible. Yeah, yeah. And then people forget, like Monaco used to be a good academy. Wenger, yeah. Arsene Wenger used to manage Monaco. That's where the young Thierry Henry was developed. So when yeah. Wenger went to Arsenal, he brought in he further developed Henry. That's why I would say, you know, without Arsene Wenger, Henry wouldn't wouldn't have had the, had the success. I mean, Henry learned from Wenger. I mean, it is. It's too much to say. I mean, without Wenger, there's there's no Ali. Some people might say it's true, but you know what? These two trusted each other, and it both worked out well for both of them. And both these guys made an impact on soccer. So I don't see it as you know, Wenger made Ali, Ali made Wenger. They both made soccer great. Like they both like gave us something unique to see. That's the way yeah, I see no, it. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's like I guess because I'm more of a United fan. Uh, it's true because. With Ronaldo, when he came to Sporting Lisbon, he was really raw, really, really raw. He, uh, Alex, uh, so Alex saw him, helped him develop it. But the biggest thing, like you said, with Wenger and Henri, they trusted each other. Yeah. You know, Ronaldo trusted him, like to the T. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, am I keeping the ball? He, there was one point that like, they were saying, like, he would, like, Ryan Giggs was getting pissed at him because it's like, Man, you're keeping that ball too long. Like you need to pass. Well, what happened? We stopped learning how to pass. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with Wenger and uh, Henri. Henri was a winger, wasn't he, when he came in? And Wenger was the one who put him as as a nine. He put him as a striker. Yeah, because because of his speed and his yeah. way to you know put the ball in the back of the net, he moved him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's trust. Yeah. Like you're going like like okay, I'm gonna put you in this position. You know, you gotta trust me. You're gonna flourish on this. You know, and that that, that doesn't happen uh, if you don't trust a coach, you know, especially a big move like that from a winger to a striker, because that's that's a different position, because now as a winger, you're more wide, you're more skilled to your foot, uh, to a striker. You're not trusting your foot no more. You're trusting your whole body, because now you're going to have to run where you're trusting somebody else to pass that ball, and then you're going to have to learn your timing. That's a very difficult change. That's why there's not too many players that can do that. Mm-hmm. It's very seldom, actually. You get to see that. Yeah, there's always a you know when, when a player is in his youth, he's you know when he gets bigger, you know, he starts to grow. I mean, that style, like his skills, just develop differently, and then that's why you got to make that change. 
think oh, yeah, that's, that's, only, that's probably what Van Gogh saw in Henri. Yeah. So, anyway. I, I, I just like how we plan on doing an EPL discussion, but now we're really taking this episode even better. Like, we're doing a, we're doing a good job. I think, you know, we're doing better than, than what a recap is. So, but um, anyway... Now let's uh, take a look at Arsenal now. I mean, we're still kind of recapping in a sense, but you know Arsenal kind of turned things around. But no, they suffered a draw at, uh, on the road against Brighton. But as far as I mean, and, and I've said and I've said this with Steve so many times. Despite me being a lifelong Man U fan, and you know him being a, a diehard Liverpool fan, I have to admit it is tough seeing Arsenal the way they are now. It, it really it, it is tough. I think give Arsenal chance. I think now I'm starting to see Arteta kind of putting a hole on that club. I think it was just like so many – they had a rough summer, man. They really did. They did. They, they, they got that young kid, Lubak uh, – I can't pronounce his name. Yeah, uh, but, but, but I know who you're talking about. So he's brand new. I mean, he's, he came from a, from a league that's not, you know, like – you're now playing the EPL. You're going to be starting. And then, you know – it's going to take time for those kind of young kids. Ben White, he got hurt. They're expecting him to start with that much money. You know, they're hoping that he can partner up with Gabriel. Gabriel's becoming a leader for them now. I love that Japanese kid, by the way. The Japanese kid uh, uh, plays the right back position. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching him a little bit in Italy. He can play right back and center back. So he can play both sides. He has a lot of grit. And those, and those kind of players, you're going to need the guys who wants to fight. He wants to fight for the balls, get the teams going, um, you know. And uh, I think Martin Odegaard, I think that was the key for them. I think finally getting that deal over the line with uh, Madrid, I think Odegaard was better off going to Arsenal because, one, he's getting more playing time. Two, he's getting trusted with the ball. Three, he has the confidence of Arteta. I think he never just – I think Madrid was just too big for him personally. I think he should never went there. He went from a teenager going to Madrid from their academies, and then they're pushing him because he was so hyped when he was a young boy. Uh, he they'd like, okay, you're supposed to go to the academies for at least two or three years, which we did, but they were trying to push him, and then they are like, oh, you're not ready, so let's put you alone. Eh, you're still not ready. Let's put you alone. He just got lost in the shuffle too. He's one of those guys who got lost in the shuffle. Talking about Vanderbilt, kind of in the same situation. It's, it's, un- it's unfortunate that some big clubs they're not meant for certain players. No. It's 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 really unfortunate, you know, But yeah, and, and you know it's not often for for play you know for you know for Asian players, it's not often to see him play in England. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how many have played there in England over the years, but. But, you know, now that we're seeing American players play in Europe, you know, it would be nice to see if we could get more Korean players, more Japanese players, maybe more Chinese players. Because, you know, you know, in Korea, South Korea and Japan, obviously, you know, they, they qualify for the World Cup. But, you know, China qualified only once in 2002. But, but China, I've done research. China does have good players. I'm not sure yeah. what the problem is. I mean, maybe some people say it's the political situation, it's the government. What I mean, maybe it's true, but, I mean, I always say, like, these countries that have never made it to the World Cup, like Thailand, no, I've done research. They have good players. It's just it's difficult for them to get a man to get a good manager because you know they can't obviously because of the the, the the poor funding they can't pay like like 
Like, if a manager manages England and then he would go to, like, you know, to Thailand, obviously he's not going to get the same amount of pay in Thailand that he would get in England, but, which just makes it hard because, you know, some of these countries don't put enough funding into their national teams, and that's a problem. Like, if you don't fund, like, they don't have the good training, they don't have the proper facilities, I mean, that does take an effect. Some people will say it doesn't, but, like, no, it does. Like, you got to really invest heavily if you're going to build a team to qualify for, for a World Cup, especially if you're, for those Asian teams. Oh, I agree. I, I, I 100% agree. And I think that's it. And, uh, and it starts, there's been a lot of good Japanese players in Europe in oh, the yeah. past. Okay. You know, and so South Korea. I mean, South Korea and, or Korea period, or everyone kind of goes that they had a lot of good players too in, in, in Europe playing uh, a long time ago. You know, so that's what I'm thinking. And then that's what I'm thinking. Like, give Arsenal, I'm going to give Arsenal another month. Uh, I think Arteta really. Just, I think he just got slammed by these. I don't know what Arsenal fans were thinking. Were they thinking they're going to go to like Champions League or something? I don't know what their expectation was, but their expectation was way too high, way too high. Arsenal supporters, because Arsenal is just one of the greatest teams. Like when you think of the EPL, obviously Arsenal is always one of those teams that's always come to mind. I mean, you, you know, obviously, you know, for me, you know, my favorite EPL player of all time is Henri. Yeah, but. But yeah, you know, look, like I said, it. Yeah, I'm still a mini fan at heart. But when you love the game like I do, and you, and you know, and when me being a sportsman, when soccer is a huge part of my career, you know, you want. I want to talk about Arsenal. I want to talk about Liverpool. I want to talk about the heavyweights. But I want to talk more positively than negativity. Than negatively, you know. So, so you know, but as far as our Arsenal goes, there's a lot of things going wrong. I mean, Arsenal. Now, now even though they actually. Correct me if I'm wrong. They actually spent more money during the transfer window than any other team in the EPL. They did. Yeah, they See, spent, yeah. I believe, 136. Yeah. So, it, so I would tell Arsenal supporters as well. It could be worse. At least you're not in the same situation as Barcelona. I mean, Barcelona. It's probably, it's probably going to be years before they can actually make a huge transfer. And <laughs> I mean, I hate to, I hate to say that, but I mean, yeah, no, I, it's true. I don't know what what the f's going on with Barcelona. Although I'm I'm starting to wonder, like, if it happens to Barcelona, what if it happens to Real Madrid? I think um, I think with Madrid more. I think they they got hit by COVID, and it, it's like any company. Like my company was the same way a year and a half ago. We bought this new facility in 2019. We built it. 2020 hit. Guess what happened? COVID. So all the expense you did in 2019 rolled into 2020. Same thing happened to Madrid. They were gonna upgrade Barnabo. They're thinking, oh, it's going to be great. Full seats, everything. Bam. 2020 hit. That All that negative, because you put all that capital on a new stadium. Okay, yeah. Didn't materialize. That makes sense, yeah. So, I think that's just a blip for Madrid. I don't know what the hell happened in Barcelona, but I personally think it was just mismanagement. Uh, buying players that shouldn't have been there. Uh, overspending on some of the contracts that they should never reinvested, like Busquets, uh, Piquet. I'm just sorry, but they're legends. But you know what? You're not good. You're not. You shouldn't be paying them 200k, 300k a, a week. I'm just sorry. I mean, they're not, they're not. They're not those. You know, they're not their prime anymore. Like, like when we think of the Spanish team from 2010. I mean, most of those, like probably I would say by by now, 90 percent of those players are gotta be in their mid to late 30s now. Oh, I mean, I mean, oh, I know God. that. Um, 
What's his name? Uh, the midfielder who longtime Barcelona. Oh, Andreas Iniesta. I, he's still playing, but I believe he plays in Japan now. No, he plays in the Middle East. In the middle. Okay, I know he did because when, when he left Barcelona, I, I know he, he went to Japan. But I think now he's in. Okay, so he's in the Middle East now. Yeah. Okay, I'm guessing in Qatar. I, I would I would guess. Yeah, somewhere like there. I mean, I mean, obviously, if playing the Middle East, Qatar is probably the one of the best clubs to go to. Yeah. Because I mean, you know that the the payday. Pretty much retirement money. Yeah, but anyway. You know, yeah, I grew up, you know, I always say, like, I'm not a diehard Real Madrid fan. I was just, you know, it's it, it's Zidane. I mean, I always tell people, Zidane's been my hero since I was three. So anywhere Zidane went, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I loved Beckham. I loved, you know, the Brazilian Ronaldo. But, you know, Zidane, I was there for anything. It was always more about Zidane than anybody else. But, you know, when, when Zidane, you know, came back to Real Madrid... And then you know, and people were saying, well, if he's that good, how come he's not solving the? He hasn't been able to fix the problem. Like, well, number one, he came he came back in was basically basically tried to cl- clean up a mess that he didn't even make. So you can't blame Zidane for the for the struggles, you know, after he left and then came back to try to fix it. Yeah, that's not on Zidane. I mean, it's not fair that he had to clean up a mess that he didn't even make. No, no, and, and it's difficult. Look at again. I guess you know. I mean, I'm a fan. Look what all he had to do. He had to clean up all the mess from Louis Van Hall and freaking Jose Mourinho. You know, it's difficult. And the management, like the Glazers, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to deal with them. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and that's been a problem. I mean, these many supporters have had it. You know. So, I mean, I see that. And and, and talking about management and, 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 and the, uh, the owners – both Arsenal and Tottenham's, fortunately, they got the most penny pinchers of all the American owners. As much, all the I hate I don't I don't like the Glazers, but as much as the Glazers push and shove, they'll spend the money. They'll like they're like okay, I guess we need them. Go freaking buy that most expensive teenager. Go ahead buy that player. Arsenal and Tottenham, they're not gonna say that, you know. They're not going to go, oh, yeah, we'll go spend the most expensive teenager in the world or best defensive back or, you know, whatever. You know, you don't get those two. And that's a very difficult job for a, a manager to keep. And, and I think for Pacheco, I think that's the reason why a lot of people regarded him. It was a very difficult job for him to keep Tottenham top six, you know, uh, oh, yeah. especially with the management. Uh, yeah. And. You think about it, how many players did he have that was really a world-class player. Was it only Kane, maybe? Kane, um, uh, Hugo Lloris, Hong Ming Son. Um, and uh, I think that's it, really. I mean, <laughs> maybe one more I'm missing. I'm probably missing one more, I-, I bet you. But other than that, I mean, not a real squad. And he kept them up to top six every year. You know, so I think, I, I really do think Arsenal and Tottenham, especially Tottenham, really surprised me. What they're 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 in eighth right now, and that's eighth with twelve points with the rest of the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Start off they're on a three-game winning streak, then lost three, yeah. and actually just uh, and just actually picked up the win against Aston Villa. Yep, they did. So and Nuno is again. That's another manager that got thrown in the bus. Remember, he was in the top pick. He was like the third, fourth choice of that club. It was a, it was a total mess with them too in, in summer. 
And they weren't even, I don't think, did they even buy anybody this summer? Because they were such... Not that I know of. They were dealing with the Harry Kane situation. Yeah, and so... And I don't think it's resolved. Just because we haven't heard anything about it, I, I doubt that it's resolved. Yeah, and so you have to think about that. Nuno has to deal with that. Nuno, they get no upgrades. I mean, what... So what he has right now, it's the eighth, eighth spot. I said, yeah, 12. And then just winning and just drawing all those things. Like, 2-1 against... Aston Villa on Sunday. You can't ask more than that. I mean, it's a really good job. And I like Nuno. I was really surprised with Wolverhampton. Like, I know they had a bad year last year, but I was really surprised they they said you can go. You know, I was really surprised by that. Especially they had, they had Jimenez, you know. And, and I was shocked. That was one of the shock fires from last year that uh, I read. And I think it, it was nice for him going back to the English Premier, uh, uh, a league that he knows now, uh, and then just working. I mean, I'm really happy that he's making it positive in Tottenham, you know, and it's good. It, it is good, and, you know, and hopefully Tottenham can recover. And, you know, and, you know and speaking of that, you know, the two interesting games from this series that we really got to talk about, uh, you know, Brentford actually beating West Ham United and, you know, and, and – you know, and I have to be honest, you know, before this season, I never heard of Brentford. You know, like, because, you know, keep my, see my usual guest, Steve, you know, has been a soccer fan since the 70s. You know, and and, and I, I would imagine you've been a soccer fan, you know, for uh, at least three decades. So, you know, it, it's no surprise. Like, you know, when I talk, like, when I learned about the, the Blackburn Rovers, I mean, yeah, I learned that from Steve. Like, all these clubs that were in the Premier League maybe 20 years ago that haven't been in the Premier League since, I, yeah, I never heard of them. So, basically... Anything I, I've heard about the Blackburn Rovers, it was from Steve. It's funny because, like I said, I just caught them in 2019 because of that playoff game. That's the only reason why. And if I never caught that game against Leeds, I'll probably never follow them in 2020. So, really, I just got lucky. And that's the only reason why I know. And their manager, they did a piece on them. I don't know if you watched it over NBC, uh, the morning show before the game. That guy has... He's smart. Like, he'll like, so <clears throat> most managers will do their chain, right? They'll go, okay, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to be. This is the style we might need to play. Okay, and then they'll go back in the back room. They'll talk about it in the boardroom. He actually brings the boardroom in the pitch, in the training room. While they're, while they're practicing, he'll like get these chess pieces and tell them like, okay, while you were running that, I didn't like that. You need to be here a little bit more. Like that's that's really different from a coach, and that's very that's very innovative to me because it's like right there, it's fresh in your mind. You know, you're not like you're not forgetting it because you can easily forget it. Like, all right, he told me to be there, and then you go in the back room and watch the video. Like, oh yeah, I see it now. But right there and then, you can make your fix your mistakes right there. That's very new, and I think that's the reason why he's. If the success he does in Brentford, I won't be surprised if one of the top clubs plucks him and, and you know, becomes a, a better coach in a, in a little bit more bigger club. Not, I'm not saying a big club, but just maybe a medium-sized club, the mid-table clubs. But he, he, it was a very interesting piece. I saw that. It was very interesting of him. He's very unusual if you've seen him in the, uh, on the sideline. He's one of those just new football coaches that thinks differently. 
I mean, you know, when the sport changed, I mean, there was a time the sport probably changed maybe five, six years, but now it seems like the, the sport changes every two to three years. It does. Uh, and I, I think I think everything, technology, the video, like you the see video, everybody, like, video, not even that, like you see Ollie now. Ollie and uh, Michael Carrick, they're watching their freaking iPad. So they're watching the games in real time and discussing what's happening. That's ridiculous. Like, you know, and they can just relate to one of their coaches in down the touchline and tell them, hey, so-and-so is not doing this. He needs to push this guy a little bit more. You know, he needs to pinch that or he's not running the space correctly. You know, those things that technology has really changed sports, period. Like, not just, you know, soccer or football, but American football. You know, you see those coaches now. They don't even have cards on. They just look at their iPads and just look at their plays and what's going on. So I think a lot, a lot of the younger coaches you'll see in maybe ten years, you'll see them be more hands-on, and it's kind of, kind of exciting to watch, uh, to to trying to see them uh, how the game progresses. Uh, and also, it's funny. I mean, you can laugh out about it, but FIFA video game has really, really changed the game. It really does. Like if you watch, if you ask an American kid ten years ago. What's a halfback? They're like, huh? What is that? You ask a kid who plays FIFA, an American kid, hey, what's a halfback? Oh, yeah, it's this position. What's this formation? Oh, yeah, it's this. It's funny. FIFA video games has done that. Yeah, it has. It's, yeah. it's, it's so funny. And it's so I think you'll see the progression of the game intelligence of coaches and training and all that. I think that's the reason why you see also uh, the American team getting better every year because – Hopefully they'll take advantage of those things, you know, the technology, the the players more now in Europe, you know, hopefully they can bring that knowledge down here, you know, so it's really interesting and I, and I like that and that's why I like this, I like, that's why I love watching Brentford because the guy is so innovative. Yeah, it is. You know, I don't really use those terms like center back. I mean, a halfback is, is, a, is it's midfield, right? Well, it's a little bit, so... You know, it, what it used to be is just like where the old English game is like got four in the back, you know, two or three, you know, or however you want to. So those guys are usually the, 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 the left and right backs used to be just the backs. Like those are the guys who were athletic enough to dribble, but not athletic enough to dribble. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they could. But now you got these kids like Reese James, Robertson, you know, Luke Shaw, these guys can dribble and pass. So they're like halfbacks. They're like, you can go fly, dude. You can just, if you see a transition, you don't have to stay in the back no more. You can actually be a wider uh, a wider range, you know, where now you can pinch some of those guys and the forwards in to kind of cross or even more dangerous to kind of pass in maybe two or three times to find that space you know and that's what halfbacks are mainly it's just an extra winger really uh and that's what Tuchel talked about Tuchel a while ago that's what he 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 took advantage of you know having Reese James you know out there really just uh Ben Chilwell actually he was dying under Frank Lampard now he's playing a little bit better now you know uh, under Tuchel too as well just using this athletic ability and you know but 
I, I'm still in the standstill where, you know, they still need to defend, though. <laughs> well, defending is very important, but, you know, parking the bus, I don't I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. It just makes the sport look – it hurts the sport's reputation. You know, uh, I always say, like, you know, France has, uh, France has utilized basically the four-defender set, which I like because, you know, you got to defend, you know, keep – I mean, for France – to have chances of winning, you, you got to keep the ball away from the goalkeeper. And France has always been heavy with the midfield. Going back to the uh, late 70s and early 80s, the midfield position has always been the the strength of, of, of French fo- of French uh, football. So, you know, and, and now, but it's, it's been difficult lately because, you know, Conte has been a- unable to stay healthy. You know, there's been just too many problems going on, but... But go back to these these formations. I mean, you see like the traditional four by three by three. You know, four defenders, three midfielders, and three forwards. You know, sometimes you'll see four defenders, three midfielders, and then two forwards, and then the then the lone striker. And I and I like that. You know, you gotta have. I would say if there's a team utilizing maybe four midfielders, the best way to counter it is that you're, you're probably just gonna you can't have a sole striker. You're, you're gonna have to have. A three like forward set like you know it's because it, it's really hard to counter like if, if a team uses like four midfielders that's it's gonna be brutally tough to score against it's gonna be tough to even penetrate the damn ball it is and what the old ways used to be is you used to stretch those guys out with your wingers so you could kind of create that space with those four heavy back line that's the old thinking now obviously you can play a little bit more narrow but that's the whole thing, and like, let's stretch them out, you know, keep stretching them out, and then eventually they're going to have to start thinking to get out of their comfort zone, get out of that, that set zone, and hopefully we can poke across or two. That's the old ways, but now it's a little bit different. Yeah, so um, like uh, Spain kind of kind of kind of started that trend a little bit of a non-positional football uh, again, I want to go back to that again. In 2010, I like to say. The Tiki Taka uh, play style. Yeah. They were just kind of moving around because they had no striker back then. There was just, it was Fernando, it was, uh, it was Fernando Torres, um, David Villa, and really that was it. You know, so they didn't, they, it was a choice of adapting or not scoring. So they adapted. You know, yeah. they had two magnificent Golden generational midfielders with Xavi and Iniesta, you know. So let's use them, you know. Let's just move the ball around, you know. Hopefully, instead of stretching the the, the defense, we can make them be impatient, and then you know what, we're gonna come forward and break that line, you know. That's another way you can kind of break those. I guess the four backfield. You say, um, you know, back then, and, and that was kind of boring. I know, I know that I remember a lot of people said they didn't like that style, and during the World Cup, uh, during Spain's run, because they passed too much, you know, because they couldn't. There was no real forwards uh, or wingers they had back then. So I mean, that that's another style. I guess if we were talking about the styles, it's another formation that you can do. They did a lot of that. Uh, Busquets uh, just really sat down in the middle of the park, said, let these other guys do it, and I'll just sit down like another, like an, I'm an extra, you know, center back, pretty much, and just kind of pass him to death. 
I mean, the tiki taka was just so hard to see because it, it's basically it's it's basically short passing with movement and just kind yeah. of moving the ball through and maintaining possession. So it's basically kind of like keeping the ball on your end, but you know, like but moving so like taking your time. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. Basically, in 2010, let's not forget in the knockout stage, Spain won every game with 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 a sole goal. They won, they, especially in, in that World Cup final, 2010. So. Spain yeah. basically plays in a time like, you know, they're not panicking, they're taking their time, and they just score when the time is right, and then they just defend, defend, defend. That's what made me annoyed by it, because I'm not a fan of low-scoring soccer games, especially, well, especially like, the, like you know, when you're like France, I mean, Fran- the French style is different, you know, because France is, there's the midfield, and then there's the uh, forward and the striking, so France has always been known for being able to score, so so that formation would never work with France, but you know everybody's different. You know Italy's known you know overall for solid, super solid, rock solid defending, and as well with with some midfield work. So it's yeah, every nation's kind of different. I mean Germany has always been known for having so for being very well balanced, like good defense and good offense. Yep. And you know Germany, I would say like Germany has always been known for you know that winning mentality, you know of being like you know a very disciplined team, but. But obviously, you know it, that that's not been the case because you know when it comes to German soccer, it's all it, the winning is what, what's what's most known about. But but I th- I think Germany is really just on its way to like of really turning on a new leaf. Like we 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 may see a, a stronger German national team than ever in the next few years. They do, and I I think now, and I think we kind of discussed this. Um, I forgot who made that comment in Facebook when I said about Ansufati can be the future of Spain. But him being obviously black, uh, he's been kind of like a little black ball in that country. Germany, actually, believe it, they're actually starting to accept a lot of the immigrants now. And that's going to help them out a lot, kind of broaden their pool. You know, like, why do you want to narrow your pool? You can, if you actually accept a lot of the immigrants who, who did migrated from your country, you know, uh, from Germany, they could broaden their pool, you know, like they, their last generation had like, what, two or three Muslims? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I know a few of them, uh, forgot the name. That's obviously when you think of, uh, players who come from immigrants, I mean, nobody comes more to mind than France and that brings up so much freaking racism, which annoys the hell out of me. It does. I mean, Okay. They're not Africans. They're Frenchmen. I mean, some people just say, like, no, they are. The The French Federation just paid for their passport. Like, no. There's actually strict FIFA regulations. They have to be a citizen, and they have to do the applications in themselves. Like, France doesn't interfere. But, you know, I, 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 would, I would say, like, you know what? You know, you know, England's the same way. Like, a lot of players, you know, that, that came from immigrants. And you know what? Who cares what they look like? I don't care what they look like. It's about, yep. the, it's about the play. And, you know, and, and lately, you know, I, you know, Speaking of France, you know, I'm telling. I mean, I'm telling you, if Zidane does take over the national team, I think he can make the national team stronger than it's ever been. I mean, I think also yeah, France, no France can be extremely disciplined. And like I said, if those French players, because that's been the problem, like, these French players are not getting their shit together. They're they're behaving arrogantly. They're not playing as a team. That's why I say, if Zidane takes over, if you don't get it together. He's doing it for you. Then somebody will joke, like, what's he going to do, headbutt them? Like, you know what? There's worse things Zidane could do to you than headbutt you, especially as a manager. If you don't get it yeah. together, you don't get called up to the national team, then, of course, you're going to go cry. If a player decides to go cry to the media, that's going to be the, the – it's, it's, it's going to spiral out of control. But you know what? 
Z Dunn does not give a damn about what the media thinks. He doesn't care what you think about him. He's not, he's and always I, been that way. Yeah, and I think he has enough skins at a wall, especially for I'm assuming. I don't, I'm not really privy to the French media, but I'm sure he has pretty good skins in a wall in the French media and the French people, you know. So I'm sure he'll have a lot of, uh, I guess, slack, you know, yeah. if he tells a player like, hey, no, you can't do that, you know. And it was a mess. It was like, they're, like I remember uh, Patrice ever got into trouble. Yeah, uh, in, two, in 2010, yeah, in 2010. The whole thing, the whole thing is just so freaking complicated, you know. Because by then, you know, Raymond Domenech, who was the manager, had lost complete control of the team, and you know, I mean, I've forgiven Evra. Most of France, I mean, most of France is still upset. Like the French national team lost total respect, and rightfully so. The French national team had to re-earn its respect, and then they did that in 2014. But you know, but going back to Zidane, you know, th- there's actually a story that Newcastle United had the chance to sign him. And they didn't do it. And I actually wrote an article on this. you know, And they said that it's because they felt that the young Zidane, who was 24 at the time and was playing for Bordeaux, was, quote, not good enough for EPL. <laughs> so, and we all know uh, Newcastle has a history of passing on players. They passed on Mo Salah. They passed yep. on Luka Modric. Just name a few. Uh, I, I, I believe Ivan Perisic might be another, another one of them. I'm not sure, but I know that there's a... A long history of players that they've passed on. I think, uh, I think maybe, or maybe it's Lukaku. I'm not sure, but like I said, but you know, and back then Zidane was not very well known with the French media. I mean, but I mean, the French media has had a bit of notoriety for being a bit racist. I mean, which media hasn't, quite frankly? Yeah. But and you know, the fact is, Juventus saw the potential in him. So as soon as Newcastle just announced they didn't, they didn't want him, Juventus grabbed him, just like that. I mean, sometimes it's it's fate, you know, it's fate. What would happen if Zidane went to Newcastle, really? Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I did write a story on that, and I think if he did, he he would have basically, he would have shined in the in the EPL. Yeah. He would have basically, he and Alan Shearer would have been a fantastic dynamic duo, and then I'm sure the heavyweights like Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, they probably would have, you know, immediately start, you know, off making offerings. All right, well, we want Zidane. How much do you want? But... Yeah. But Manchester United, actually, uh, there was a sort of, like, Alex Ferguson wanted him, but I think it fell through because... I, and, and I swear, I read somewhere that Ferguson was worried that he, that Cantona and Zidane would get into it because, because remember, when Cantona was omitted from the national team in 1996, that's when Zidane began becoming the, the favorite. But I'm pretty sure Cantona had nothing against Zidane. I'm sure he would have said, "Look, you know, if if you're now there's if, if you're now being looked at the captain, then take it." But, but yeah. I mean, I, I mean, this was when I was three. I mean, the, the kung fu uh, kick. It's and I was two years old actually when that took yeah. place. But by then, Cantona was in his. He was beginning to. He was in his mid thirties, but he was still playing good. And the French national team was moving in, into a new direction because Cantona, unfortunately, could not have any success with the national team. So I mean, it, it, they, were, they were basically Emé Jacquet, who, was, who became that new manager, started bringing in some new players, and I guess he felt that Cantona, his example and his uh, the way he did things was just a, was a was a poor example to the younger players. I mean, I can't say can't. I mean, Cantona, I I wouldn't describe him as an arrogant player. He was a player. He did have a temper. Obviously, we know we all know he, yeah. he was known for having a temper, but. I mean, as far as him being a bad example to young players, I mean, 
maybe, but his skills and everything, I think that would have been good, but, you know. Well, again, it's, it's an interesting thought, though. I mean, definitely. I think also that time, too, 96, 97, 98, I think that was his prime years. It was, yeah. Um, I think once, once obviously, those, it, it just dipped, you know. So, I mean, well, I mean, I guess we'll never know. It's one of those things. Yeah. But it's it's interesting discussion though, definitely. It, it, it definitely, and you know, you know, we all know Cantona and Didier Deschamps have a lifelong feud. You know, I, I think it dates back to the when they were playing for Marseille. I mean, Cantona yeah. would describe Deschamps as quote the water carrier of the national team. You know, you know, and I used to defend Deschamps all the time from these comments, but you know, but now it's different because you know Deschamps really fallen out of favor with his poor managing and the the poor decisions. I mean, I, I think now it's just like you know what. He's lost control. It's time to it's it's time for a change, but I I would take it as far as saying I I would believe Cantona was honestly jealous because Deschamps won everything like won the helped France win the World Cup as a manager. He captained the team, and ba- basically I mean like, keep in mind they were never friends. They never they never could stand each other. But you see, my dad is a big Cantona guy, and my dad has never been a Deschamps fan like ever. <laughs> so now that I'm no longer a fan, my dad's basically like, well, you see what I've been trying to tell you. I'm like, well. Deschamps did actually do good a, a few years ago, but now apparently he got stuck. He got stuck in the 2018 style. He didn't adapt, so now and he can't get his players to get it together. I mean, he's lost control, like I've said. But like this brings back the whole Kareem Benzema thing. Like when when Benzema got omitted for allegedly blackmailing uh, his teammate for so many years, I defended Deschamps' decision because that's a bad example. Like even if he did it or not, the fact that the whole thing was going on, I mean, it, it was something that was just. It was drama, though. It was unwanted drama because now lately Benzema's been back. I mean, I've always been a Benzema fan, but, you know, I, what I would say, it, it was never about his race because <laughs> how, could you, how, to, how could you call Deshaun racist? I mean, look at all the players on the national team, yeah. their background. No. <laughs> they're, 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 wasn't that the joke? Like, they're saying that Griezmann was the minority because majority all of them were all either black or, or from descent from the Middle East. It's yeah. like... Yeah, it was like, he's actually the minority, you know. I mean, so. him and Giroud. I mean, you know what? And, and speaking of England, too, Griezmann and Giroud come from, come from England. Giroud comes from the Italian background, and Griezmann comes from a German background. Yeah. Even Hugo Lloris, the goalkeeper, I mean, he, he, I believe he comes from from uh, Spanish background. Yeah. I, 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 I would say, based on based on his fa- on his facial expression, like sometimes how he, when he gets angry, he 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 kind of really i would honestly tell like the way he gets angry i've seen dude a dude in spain i used to know when we got angry it was kind of similar so i was like yeah he's definitely got to be spanish a spanish descent so yeah. i mean there's a lot of them like that i mean it is a melting pot and i think because of the the uh back then in france and also england uh back in the 60s and 70s where here in america we were pretty fun we were pretty much you know on that poop uh, a lot of them decided that we're well, you know, living in America. We're going to go to France. We're going to go to, you know, uh, England, where it's a little bit more lax. You know, it's not as bad. You know, so that's why you see a lot of those, you know, families, uh, you know, originate from because of that reason. You know, a lot of the Caribbeans went to England, so that's why you see Raheem Sterling's families from Jamaica, but he. From England, because a lot of those countries in the Caribbean, they were once part of the English and the French Empire. Yeah, yeah. So that's that, why, yeah, that's why they would go there. Yeah, well, at least I mean, I, I would say that. I mean, we know Jamaica was one of England's colon- biggest colonies in the 
in the Caribbean. So yeah, France. Uh, well, I mean, you don't. I mean, for France, I would get you know there's you know Martinique and all these others. I mean, some of these countries are still part of the French Republic. So yeah, yeah, but it, it, it it's just it's difficult, you know. The French national team and like all these multinational cultural, it's always been a thing. So I mean, it is. Yeah, definitely it is. I mean, I would tell people, you know, it doesn't like who cares where their family was from. You know, the fact is, I mean, I would say you're just like these talented players pick France. They could pick their ancestral countries if they want to. Yeah, it's what they. I mean, if that's what you identify as, you know, that's who you are. You know, I have no problem with it. Like, that's why I'm so confused in some of the coaching or countries not picking certain players for it, you know? So it's their loss, I guess. It, 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 it is a hundred percent. So, so as we begin to wrap it up, uh, talk a little bit about Liverpool and Manchester city. Uh, well, well that, that definitely that game. I, and I was commenting on you saying that, man, that was a very fast paced um, like second half, oh, even the yeah. first half was second half. They picked it up and like one scored and the other one scored. I mean, you can see it starting getting tense. You see, that's what, like Klopp and Pep is like the two most entertaining coaches to watch on the sideline. You know, you'll see Tuchel kind of get excited once in a while. His little German ways, they get all excited. You'll see a couple of coaches kind of pump their fists. You know, get excited. But man, dude, Klopp sometimes makes me laugh. It's like, he says some of those absurd things, but man, he's a very entertaining dude in these sidelines. So is Pep. Made the game a little bit more better, those personalities. And then just having two good teams, really, I was really surprised because I thought Liverpool was going to be stale this year because they didn't make no changes. Uh, they didn't really get anyone. I mean, they got some people back because of injuries. But generally, when that happens, you have three years of the same players, same manager. You get stale. So I was like, oh, it's a good time for United to kind of pluck that, you know, because they're going to get a little stale. They're not. Mo Salah really looks good this year. He's actually one of the comeback players, I think, from last year because he didn't oh, have a good year last year. Yeah. And I think this year he's really, really looked good. He looks quick. Uh, he looks decisive. He's not uh, shy about scoring no more. You know, he's shooting the ball really well. Uh, I don't know because Firmino's not playing as much, but they're most all and, and uh, Mane is really playing really good football. I think Diego Jota really thinks of planting himself as uh, a starter for Liverpool. I think that's a great buy, by the way. Um, and just kind of really attacking. I was really surprised. Like I said, I thought they're going to be stale. They're like, oh, they're going to be stale, but they're not. Yeah, they're not. You know, I always, I always say Jurgen Jurgen Klopp is smarter than he looks. Like Jurgen, like you were talking earlier about you know knowing when to use a player, how to you know tell him exactly what he needs to do. You know, Jurgen Klopp is a perfect example of a man who who's excels at that because it's been these same players the last three years. Oh, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane. You know, these guys just keep playing great. I mean, they have a couple of setbacks, but they always come back. You know, and, they do. And what I love about Salah and Sadio Mane, I mean, just so humble. I mean, I'm of Arabic descent, so, you know, Mo Salah is a hero in the, in, in the, in the Arabic uh, community. 
you know, and Sadio Mane, you know, his story, you know, is a, it's a cool, you know, grew up in Senegal, the son of an imam, and his, uh, his father, like, as, from what I read, it, his father disapproved of, of his desires of being a soccer player. But, you know, I would say, look, you know what? If that's your dream, even if daddy tells you not to do it, you, you got to do it anyway. You, yep. I mean, I, I kind of say, like, look, sometimes it's painful to do it, but you got to, you got to stand up. If you're, if, if somebody, if they try to take it from you, you got to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want. Like, yep. you know, and, and, and Sadio, you know, you know, kind of like Dick Cave Matumbo, you know, Sadio doesn't give a, like, doesn't show off like, oh, look at me. I have a cool car. I mean, Sadio Mane donates, you know, to Senegal, you know, because of the whole problem there. You know, I will say it's amazing. These players are willing to do what the government's, some people say it's because the government can't do it. Some say it's because the government just refuses to because of the corruption. I'm like, you know what? Regardless, at least there's guys who are, who have, who are very humble enough to actually make a difference. They do. And there's a lot of them that does that. I mean, it just doesn't show some of them. But money has been really good. I wanted him, actually, when he was going. I, I wanted. I thought United should have got him. Uh, but that time was uh, Louis Van Gaal was the coach. And that was not going to work out. So, obviously, going to Liverpool was better. Uh, but... He's good. I mean, I always liked him. Uh, the one also I want to make another point out is the one that I'm really surprised about for Liverpool is Jordan Henderson. I think him having a good uh, summer with England, uh, obviously he didn't start all of it, but he had a lot of good matches. I think it's transferring over now to his club play. He really looked good this year. He's very strong. He's very, He's taking the leadership role now. No, he's taking the leadership, and he's really like everybody saying it's Van Dyke. That's that's very um, that's very good. You know, I guess appropriate to say he is the leader. But this year, it seems like Jordan Henderson is taking the reins of that. He's not the captain, but I think he is a cashier official captain. But he's really taking that role of like, no, listen to me. I'm telling you, you need to go there. Let's get. This game going, it's really slow. And it was stagnant for a while, too. Remember, it was like 1-0, uh, right? Uh, they scored. And then, I don't know, we're like 15, like eight minutes later, I think, City scored. That's when you see Jordan Henderson really pulled the reins. and like, guys, you need to do something, you know? And, and that's another play that really shocked me this year. It's really took another level of his, of his play uh, for the past four years because he was non-existent. Mm-hmm. But now it's like Jordan Henderson really impressed me this year. Oh yeah, and Liverpool. You know, as long as Jurgen Klopp is in charge, you know, Liverpool is always going to make an impact. And as far as as far as Manchester City goes, you know, I have to be honest. You know, it was difficult last year when they were, when Chelsea and the and Manchester City were in the Champions League, and you know, everybody was asking who's who's I pulling for. I said, well, I had to pull for Chelsea because you know, Pulisic. You know Olivier Giroud and Angelo Conte. Obviously, I'm French American, so obviously I want you know those guys to get the title. But you know the way Manchester City just—it's just all that. It's just a bit of bad luck, you know. You know sometimes some people really insist that this is true about Pep Guardiola that Guardiola doesn't build teams; he buys them. Look, yeah, it's definitely you can't deny the fact that in his tenure, yeah, a lot of players were bought. But you know what? He at least he was able to put the players in the right place and build formations based off of it. So we can't, you can't throw Pep Guardiola under the bus. Like, yeah, 
he's fortunate that you know he's had the honor, the advantage of having players bought, you know, because he tells the, the owners like, or oh, whatever. Well, we need him, so you got to get him. But Pep Guardiola knows how to place the players at the right place. So I mean, it's uh, it's almost like in the same situation as, as PSG, because Manchester City, I believe, is is owned by. Uh, I think they're it's it's owned by by old businessmen, right? I know Chelsea. Is, yeah, I know Chelsea and, is. Yeah, so I know Chelsea and uh, Manchester City. I, I know that Chelsea is definitely owned by a Russian oil businessman. Yeah, Chelsea's owned by Roman Bobrovich, yeah. who's uh, an oil and pretty much owns Russia. Uh, and then Chelsea's owned by a family, uh, one of the big Saudi prince, uh, princess who owns a big portion of the oil business over in the Middle East. You mean Manchester City? Yeah, okay, uh, yeah. Manchester City, I'm sorry. Yeah. And PSG is owned actually by the state of Qatar. Yeah, like the yeah the top like the yeah. actual state. Yeah, <laughs> that's the reason why they're so freaking loaded. Yeah, so, so it's unfortunate that Manchester City and PSG has such great advantage, but you know, at the end, you know, I always say, well, what good does it do if you if you can't win the title? Yeah, and and go. Let's circle back on Pep. Uh, I've always joked because I, I, I'm a United fan. I, I like to poke fun of City fans and stuff like that, but. Um, Man, I, I can't anymore. I'm a sports artist, so I can't. I can't. But regardless, but, even if I wasn't, you know, the Red Devils have done nothing. So, I mean, I have no yeah, argument. Exactly. But I've always, and I go back again because me being American, I know a lot of the American coaches. I, I've always said Pep is the European version of Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, everybody else said, well, Phil Jackson had Michael Jordan. No, Phil Jackson had Kobe Bryant. Oh, try to coaching those guys. Exactly. It's not easy. It's not easy. So Pep, even though he had all those guys, he commanded the room. He got their respect. He told them what needs to be done, and they did it. And they did. That's yeah. that's that's difficult. It's more difficult actually to 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 coach stars than no stars. You know what I'm saying? It's it's harder because you. It's like Steve Kerr. He had a freaking massage. KD's ego, Draymond's craziness, all in the same room. That's difficult and still win, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what I compare Pep is. You know, yeah, he had Bayern Munich's money, but he still got to get all those guys in the same page. Actually, in Barcelona, he didn't really buy two. He was just gifted a damn, like, a lot of young, good players. Yeah, Exactly. See, a, a lot of people just, I, I, that, that, I guess people just don't like Pep Guardiola. And it, it, it bothers me, even as a Man fan, it bothers me that people just don't want to give him the credit. Look, I get it. Manchester City is so talented. I mean, they win. I mean, it, it's frustrating. But look, you can't deny it. Manchester City is a good club. And, you know, and, and our friend Joe on Stoppage Time F, uh, FC, you know, a lot of people will go up to him and say, oh, you're, you, you've, you've recently become a Manchester City fan. And I've spoken to Joe so many times. And based on his knowledge, his unique knowledge on Manchester City, you can tell he's been a fan for a very, very long time. He was a fan even during the time when they when they were horrible. I mean, yeah. Okay, so I, again, I just poke fun of him, but in reality, besides some, the English side, you know, the, the European side. If you're an American uh, City fan, soccer wasn't even really popular here till 2000 or right. 99. You know, so really, if you pick City, you just happen to win the gold luck as a club that you supported. You know what I'm saying? I mean, no, it you still know. really isn't popular. Like, 
know, of course, you know, when the when the Women's World Cup's taking place, of course, you know, you, there's these big games. People just go, oh, okay, you know, the U.S. wins the World Cup, cool. And then two days later, who the hell cares about soccer? Yeah, I think it's I think it's more. It's really is uh, gaining some steam. Uh, it's more. Of a, I guess I make fun of it. It's more of a hipster sports where uh, certain people only likes it, you know, or or watches it or understands it. So it it, it it is gaining some steam here in America, but obviously not as big. What I wish it can be, you know. Um, I've always said I think that in '94 we had the World Cup here. I would never been fascinated by it, uh, you know. And over that years of spending time, I've always and everybody's one of MLS, but I got to think MLS that being thing because now you get to see uh, soccer in the United States, you know. And then Fox, uh, Fox Soccer Channel. I don't know if you're old enough to know that, but 95, 96, they dedicated one channel for all English games early in the morning. It wasn't, they didn't cater to us back then. They like, no, you watch it at five in the morning. We don't care. That was the schedule. We're not catering to you, which they cater to us now, the time schedule. But man, it, 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 it's come a long way. It really has. You grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, in, in 1994, uh, you know, and I was doing research. You know, Candlestick Park, unfortunately, could not be one of the venues because I think at the time the giant, the Giants were actually playing in, in playing. Candlestick along with the 49ers. Yep. So, so obviously, they, I, th- I think but they, they did it. They did the Stanford Stadium. Yeah, yeah, they they did. Yeah. So, and this is uh, and this is our, our final phase right here uh, for today. It's, it's really been fun having you on. I mean, yeah. like I said, we were planning to just recap. But we, we just went on no a kidding. full discussion, which is great because, you know, it, it's good to have, you know, I always feel like we have a new guest. Uh, I want everybody to get to know you, and, and I will have you on in the future, I promise you. But anyway, you know, Steve spoke uh, and I spoke about these venues and I and, and for the World Cup. I think AT&T Stadium in Arlington should definitely be one of them because it's it's luxurious. I mean, everybody will say, well, you're a Cowboy fan. Of course you want them. And I'm like, okay, yeah, uh, obviously, yeah, I love the Cowboys, even though I always bury them. Sometimes I go too far. But AT&T Stadium is a luxurious stadium. It is. Yeah. I have five locations that I want them to – and I'm talking about here about north and south. Okay. I'm sorry, north and uh, central because we – that's – who got the World Cup the next, you know, for us. Mm-hmm. I want, obviously, the Dallas. I want Las Vegas. I want uh, Miami because it's just a damn city. I want Mexico City to have it. I know there's a lot of issues right now there with COVID. Hopefully, by that time, it'll dwindle down. But Mexico City, Azteca Stadium, it's a classic stadium. You I mean, got yeah, that. It's, it's got so, history, yeah. Yeah, you have to have it there. You have to. Uh, Rose Bowl, it has the history of football there. I think the Rose they Bowl, had... at its point, like it's narrowed down. Las Vegas, unfortunately, I don't think Las Vegas is, is is on the list anymore, which is a shame. I mean, I'd say we need this as opportunity to get tourism in our country because as we yep. recover from this pandemic, you know, Vegas. I would say why not uh, Orlando because you know there's Disney. So you know why? Except you know Disney during the summertime, I can't imagine how crowded it is. But and there's a lot of soccer fans in. That's why I said Miami. Yeah. Because there's a lot of soccer fans in Florida. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, and also, you know, you know, New New York is definitely a no-brainer. I mean, I also, like, you know what? They might as well have it in, in our well-known cities because, you know, people around the world, they think of, you know, New York yeah. and Washington, D.C. 
But uh, you know, California, I think you know, obviously the Rose Bowl. I, I would ask like, well, why not so SoFi State? But the Rose Bowl is is, is legendary. I mean, that, the ninety fourth final, I know, and all these college fo- famous college football games have taken place there. And but you know, uh, as far as uh, Northern California, I, I would guess. Uh, I, I guess Levi is Levi Stadium. Yeah, because they hosted a few games already there. They uh, they hosted Madrid. They yeah, hosted- they did. Yeah. Yeah, uh, AC Milan. Yeah, over there too as well. So they've done a couple, of few uh, the soccer football matches there already. So they kind of know what to do, and plus they're natural guys too. So yeah. Uh, and speaking of San Fran, you know, some people are worried about it because, you know, I don't like to bring this up, but from what I'm told, San Francisco really is 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 filthy. I mean, there's obviously, I mean, there's home the homelessness problem and. I mean, I, mean I, I don't want to make it political, but, you know, from, from, from what I understand, San Francisco is, you know, dirty, there's high, a high rate of crime and everything, you know, and some people believe that if, if they don't fix it, it's going to, it, it's going to affect, you know, Levi Stadium's ability to host, to host the games. Like, well, Levi Stadium is like 30 miles from San Fran. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like Arlington. Yeah. Yeah. A little further. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's layers to that, but. Yeah, man, uh, it's gonna be Levi Stadium anyway, so it's gonna be far away from the city. Yeah, and honestly, look, you know what? All these, a lot of our major cities are dirty and have crime anyway. Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> well, I can't believe it, but the USA really is. Uh, I mean, still love my country, but I mean, we've got yeah, we've got a lot of problems. <laughs> oh yeah, we do. Yeah, but those are my five spots, though. Yeah, really, and I think those are good spots. Like I said, Florida has a lot of Caribbeans, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, you know soccer fans that. Are there? I think uh, Denver has to. I mean, Denver really has to be considered because you know the beautiful mountains and everything. Yeah. Um, I would I mean, Lambo. I mean, I did research extensively going back to every possible city that was uh, considered, and Green Bay Lambo Field was one of them. Lambo Field is great, but but Green Bay. I mean, what is there to do in Green Bay? There's no. There's, there's no Bay, plus, and really, that there's gonna be soccer fans. And then, do you want people traveling from freaking? France or Germany, like dude, they they freaking already got to deal with the cold. Why would they want to come to a city that's cold or like not even great? You know, with winds. Yeah. I know it's gonna be the summertime, but it's gonna be the winds. You know? Yeah. But uh, I would imagine the decision is probably gonna be. I would say it's gotta be. Hopefully, sometime like within the next year, but. but they usually, don't they usually do it after, the the current. The current World I, Cup, so I, I think so, but you know, since the next World Cup is, it's actually not going to be in the summer. I always have to remind people, it's it won't be in the summer. It's going to be no, in the it's going to be the fall. Yeah, oh, in the and fall. That's another discussion, by the way. There's a lot of leagues are pissed about that. Well, I mean, see, one of my friends who uh, who's in the Air Force uh, was stationed in Qatar, and those those summers in Qatar are brutal. They are. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they are. Yeah, and so, I'm sure that's yeah. why they did the fall. But yeah, a lot of leagues are not liking it. Yeah, I mean it's just such a difficult situation. But anyway, um, so yeah, uh, all the all, yeah all those destinations, but you know, have to be considered. But uh, but I, I just really hope AT and T Stadium is 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 one of them. I mean, do I plan on going to a game? I mean, it's more unlikely because tickets are so freaking expensive, and you know, yeah, God knows yeah. how bad the traffic is going to be. I mean, it's bad enough that Texas drivers are already insane enough. But <laughs> I mean, it, believe me. You know, you, you drive towards downtown Dallas, the construction, there's people that just, oh, it, it, it's crazy. But 
But HHC, it, I mean, you know, and 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 they even they were interviewing like the the ownership, the Jerry Jones, and even Jerry Jones, you know, says you know he would love to have it. I mean, I mean, in the Jones family case, us. yeah, you'll make money off of this. <laughs> so oh yeah, but, the tourism, everything. I no, mean, like I said, you're gonna have you're gonna have at least five countries or five countries that's for sure is gonna be there. It's gonna be France, Germany, England, Netherlands. And Spain, so you know that's for sure. Fives there. Hopefully, and you thought know, Portugal well. maybe. If you know, Zidane's managing, then definitely France is definitely going to be there. France and might win. Gonna, it. And then you're going to have Brazil, uh, uh, Argentina, you know, and and whatever like Uruguay probably get you know going there. You know, I mean, you got all these countries. There'll be forty. There'll be forty-eight competitors by, by then. Yeah, yeah, because they expanded it. Yeah. I mean, the, obviously, we all know the first three that's already there is Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., but but yeah. I feel like the 2026 World Cup is going to be probably one of the greatest of all time. It will be. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, all this COVID crap will be kind of like, not gone, but more situated. At least no more mandates, yeah. no more, you know, this, no more that. You know, we can actually go back to having a good normal life. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Right. I agree on that. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen... Into the Net FC is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Rod, I want to thank you very, very much for coming on the show. And again, I plan thank on you having you back me. on. I gotta get you. I gotta get you on uh, and join me and Steve in the future. Definitely, that that sounds fun. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. We'll see y'all next time. You know, talk to you guys later. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.